0: Welcome to Montgomery Talks, the Montgomery Community Media's regular podcast on local issues. Today we have Ananya Tadakonda, who for the past year has been the student member of the Board of Education. She was elected by middle and high school students to be the student voice on the board. Ms. Tadakonda is a senior at Richard Montgomery High School. She's held positions in student government. She was part of the Minority Scholars Task Force, among other accomplishments. And she just won a National Merit Scholarship, which she'll use as she goes into medicine. Welcome, Ms. Tadakonda. Thank you. I'd like to divide this session into two parts. Part one is more or less an exit interview of your time on the board, and part two will be your assessment of student activism as we close out the second decade of the 21st century. So first, describe your year as the SMOB.
1: Absolutely. So I can say that this year has been quite eye-opening, enthralling, exciting, exciting, all of the above, and much more. Uh, I think coming onto the board definitely had to do a lot of quick learning, picking up different nuances of policy, of programs, assessing how they meet student needs, bringing back feedback from my constituents to our central office staff and administration So all of these processes and ways of doing things as a board member definitely was a learning process that I engaged in over the summer in July and August when I first got on the board. After that, it was pretty much full speed, being a complete full board member, really working on every issue that the board addresses other than, of course, negative personnel. And uh, meeting with students in the community and listening to their voices and understanding their perspectives has been a huge part of my term Because I'm the only board member who is specifically charged with doing that. So it's really been a balance of being a full adult board member, but also making sure that I'm able to encapsulate the voices of students from every corner of Montgomery County, which is vast, as we all know. Sure.
0: How did you go about doing this? I mean, how did you get student input into board issues?
1: I definitely visited schools from across the county, middle and high schools particularly, and worked with the Countywide Student Government Association, which I was formerly a part of, MCRSGA, and as well as other student organizations, some that come to mind are are the Minority Scholars Program, MOCO, Empower, and the Wooten High School Activists, and all of these different groups that also work to bring students together around common issues and advocate. So really listening to them and listening to a diverse range of interests so I was able to accurately reflect the diverse student population in Montgomery County.
0: How do you envision your term as SMOB affecting your future career?
1: I definitely have learned a lot about public service and what it means to hold an elected office and have definitely seen the pros and cons of a field like being in elected office. I definitely do want to continue uh, being in public service in the realm of public health, public policy, and medicine, as well as social justice. But I don't necessarily know if I would want to continue my work on the front lines or if I would want to be more in the background doing some of the implementation work. So that's something that I'm still trying to figure out as I move forward.
0: Nate Tinbite takes over as mob at the end of June. Mm-hmm. What advice have you given him?
1: So I've definitely told him about the importance of really understanding how to collaborate with people who think in ways very different from your own. And that can be positive or negative, but it's very important to make sure that you take into consideration the perspective of the people you work with and understand why they have the perspective that they do, just like you have the perspective that you do. And being sure that when you want to push an issue forward and you want to advocate for something specific that you are willing to kind of work with the other seven board members to come to a consensus on an initiative or resolution that encompasses the needs of every community that's represented in Montgomery County. So I think that that's definitely something that I've told him about. Also definitely balancing being on the board and then being a student and having your own personal life. It's definitely a lot can become a lot to juggle, but I've um, reminded him of the importance of recognizing that you can only do the best for the people you serve if you take care of yourself and um, make sure that your frame of mind is in the correct place first.
0: Okay. So what's your biggest takeaway from the school board, how it functions?
1: I definitely have learned so many different things. I don't know if there's a singular biggest takeaway, but I think for my personal growth and development, I think I've definitely learned about how to work with people, how to work with people who are different from you, what it means to be a policymaker, how the policymaking process works, but also the importance of really encompassing all voices in advocacy and in policymaking. I think that that's what I've really seen. I've seen how hard it is to really get all voices represented and at the table when decisions are being made. And I've seen the importance of having all voices represented at the table when decisions are made because the people who are at the table so profoundly impact how policy and programs are constructed. And if certain groups aren't represented, then those policies or programs are not going to serve them best. So I definitely have learned a lot about community engagement and advocacy. And that's kind of what's propelled me to want to continue in the realm of public service because I really want to push for all voices to be represented and all people to get the best services that they deserve.
0: What disappointed you the most about seeing the school, about the school board, especially since you're so close to it?
1: Sure. So I wouldn't say that it would be a disappointment more than a learning about how processes work, but definitely coming in from the outside, I thought that getting things done and pushing on initiatives would be a lot faster. Um, But in a system so vast and so broad like MCPS, every initiative and every aspect that you want to address takes several steps and processes for that aspect to get addressed. So I think that though it wasn't necessarily a disappointment, it kind of showed me how complex some of these systems can be and how complex the processes to delivering an outcome for 165,000 students from across this county can be. So it was a bit of a disappointment at first, but then I learned more about how it was something that was inherently tied to the size and dynamic of our system.
0: Are there issues that you're leaving to Nate that you wish you had solved during your time?
1: I guess there would be because I haven't gotten to everything that I wanted to. But I also think that there are issues that I have started the groundwork on that Nate will be having to continue carrying the torch. And that would be things like the boundary analysis and then as well as the um, mental health initiatives and work that we've been doing on the board. These two major things are definitely going to transcend his term and the terms of many future SMOBs. So that's definitely something that I'm leaving behind in MCPS as I move forward. So
0: let's talk about the boundaries study. It seemed like it started as merely an idea of shifting students around, maybe shifting a few hundred students out of a crowded school into a less crowded school that just happened to be next door. But it's brought up issues of what it means to be a neighborhood school and are there implicit discussions of racism behind that? Or is it just people wanting to have their kids go to school with the neighbor kid? What's your take on the whole discussion?
1: Sure. So the boundary analysis is really intense to look at how our use of facilities impedes upon or facilitates our movement towards equity as a school system. So that comes with two primary pieces, and that's the use of facilities and the student body demographics. The resolution for the boundary analysis really talks about looking at adjacent clusters and how they can be looked at comprehensively as a whole county to see how we can do better to create diversity in all of our schools, as well as to ensure that all of our facilities are being used effectively in terms of space, because that's our fiscal responsibility as a school system. So there have been a lot of narratives that have come out of commissioning this analysis. And I think one of them that really deeply disappoints me about the Montgomery County community is this narrative that certain groups of kids don't deserve to go to school with certain other groups of kids, because that's a narrative that should have been eradicated back in the 50s. But what's sad is that commissioning this analysis has caused some of that narrative to rise back to the surface. And I know that not only I, but several other of my colleagues are quite disappointed by that. Again, the analysis does call for a look at adjacency. So some of the concerns like excessive transportation, time, and things like that are things that are addressed in the analysis. But we do want to make sure that there's equity for all of our students because giving opportunities and making sure we open the door for a certain group of students doesn't close the door for others. It just means that the door is a little bit wider so that everybody can walk through it.
0: The decision on the final boundary analysis will come probably after you leave the board?
1: Yes. So the analysis has been commissioned already. And so for the past two months, the superintendent and his staff have done a series of community feedback forums. So Dr. Andy Zuckerman and his staff and other facilitators have been going around the county. They had a total of 10 community meetings. And so that feedback will be gathered to develop a request for proposal, which will be what goes out to find a consultant to conduct the actual analysis. Then the analysis will frame the context of the future conversations about boundaries as we engage in specific boundary studies. It may point out a significant discrepancy that calls for immediate action. It may not. And then it's also up to the board what action to take. That's what the analysis resolution specifically states. But the data from the analysis would come back in spring 2020, which means it will not only be once I leave, but basically the tail end of Nate's term as well.
0: So since it's so far in the future, what's your guess on what's going to happen?
1: I would hope that where we see an immediate call to action in terms of significant inequities in demographics and facility use in adjacent schools, that we take action. Looking at the landscape of our county, there should be areas where we can point out some of these opportunities. And I would hope that the board is courageous in taking action to move forward in some of those areas so that we can do the best for our students. But aside from that... I truly don't have any predictions about specifics. I would just say that there are going to be opportunities that are pointed out by the consultant, and I hope that the board moves forward with them.
0: We're talking today, the day after, a meeting in Damascus, which I understand was scheduled months ago, but uh, the parents are still raw from the incident last Halloween with the brooms in the JV locker room. What's your assessment of last night's meeting?
1: Last night's meeting was an opportunity for the board to engage with the community that was scheduled four years ago on our normal rotation. It was an opportunity for us to hear a broad range of concerns. There were three categories, curriculum, facility utilization, and safety and security of the school. And so we heard conversation about all three topics, some specific questions. We had staff there to answer some of the more specific questions about school circumstance because the board is an oversight body, so the implementation is really not our specific role. So we had staff who work for the superintendent answer some of those questions. And there was really a, a lot of engagement, active engagement with the community, a lot of specific questions about all of the schools in the cluster, not just Damascus High School, but also the middle schools and the elementary schools in the cluster. And it was a good opportunity for us to hear the voices of our constituents. There were students there too and really understand what their concerns are and let them know that we are working on addressing some of the issues that they raised and making sure that their needs as a community and as a school cluster are addressed by the board and by the superintendent and his staff.
0: Okay. One of the issues raised was the amount of time it took for school administrators to contact the police that this incident had taken place. Do you feel as though they were timely in reporting it or did they either purposefully or just weren't thinking of the immediacy that they should be um, putting towards this incident?
1: So due to the board's quasi-judicial role and the fact that there's two investigations taking place right now in the whole incident, I can't speak to that.
0: Okay, I think now's a good time to take a break. This is Montgomery Talks. I'm Doug Tolman, senior reporter at Montgomery Community Media, and I'm talking today with Ananya Tataconda, the student member of the school board. We'll be right back.
1: MCM, your community media center, is making Montgomery County a great place to live through programs like 21 This Week. Montgomery County's hardest-hitting political talk show keeps you up to date with the local political scene. Montgomery Community Media. Our middle name is community.
0: Okay and we're back. It seems to be high school students are having a moment right now, or at least for the last maybe year or so. Student activism, at least locally, seems to be at an all-time high. At least um, from my point of view, there was nothing to protest when I was in high school. There was nothing to protest when I was in college. Or if there was, it just didn't seem like, we weren't looking at body bags every night on the evening news like like my predecessors were with the Vietnam War. And yet, your generation, specifically the class of 2019, 2018, 2020, have taken it upon themselves to do something about gun control. And interestingly, you walk out, you march on Washington, and presidential aspirants are talking to you. What's your assessment of all that?
1: I think it's quite amazing. And I think that youth today, we've come to the conclusion that if we don't do something about the issues that we see in our country right now, then Things are just going to keep moving in the same direction that they have been. With issues like gun control and climate change, we have seen that there's been repeated inaction on the part of our policymakers at all levels. And we think that it's very important for us to stand our ground and show that as soon as we reach voting age, we will make sure that our frustration with these issues will be reflected in the way we vote. And so I think it's quite amazing. I think activism comes in waves, and I think this is one of those up waves, and I believe that it will last for as long as there's inaction on the part of federal policymakers as they see these multiple, especially on the issues of gun control, these multiple, multiple incidents of this issue and they fail to do anything about it.
0: To be a little bit cynical, the youngest voters are usually the ones who vote the least. Mm -hmm. As much as 2016, there were special efforts to mobilize the youngest voters. Apparently that didn't have an effect on the uh, on the results. What's going to be different this time around?
1: Well, I think that young people have learned their lesson. We have seen what happens when we don't vote and turn out. We have seen the negative implications of having an administration that the young people's votes were not voted in to elect that administration and that Senate and that House of Representatives. And um, We have seen the negative implications. And I believe that the activism will only positively impact future efforts to get civically engaged and vote. Because when you see someone like you, your age, from your background, your demographic, uh, you're much more likely to be mobilized and willing to also partake in those activities than when it's your teachers or your parents who are the ones who are telling you that civic engagement is in dire need at this time.
0: It seems as though the tip of the spear, so to speak, of activism around here is MoCo Students for Change. Is that a fair assessment or...
1: MOCO Students for Change have spearheaded a wide range of activism activities on a broad range of issues as well. And I do believe that they have pioneered quite a few efforts and really changed the conversation around issues like gun control, school segregation, climate change, and respecting women's rights.
0: That's quite a menu of issues.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, in the 60s, really, it was the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. There may have been another dozen issues that people cared about, but it was really just the Vietnam War that there was any sort of effect, really, of, of the activism that took place then. Is there any fear that there's too many issues that they're trying to solve at one time?
1: Well, I think that there's a broad range of concerns in the community right now, but I don't think that there are too many issues that are trying to be solved. I think the students have really effectively divided their energy and their activism between several different initiatives, and I think that that can only make them more productive in moving towards the future.
0: As an adult looking at you well, know, MoCo Students for Change and just In general, the planning and fundraising and logistical hurdles that they were able to overcome was very impressive. I've seen more than one adult post that they can't believe high school students were that organized, that they were able to rent buses and get multiple schools to take part in this. And I've seen at least one principal praise you for the work. Uh, This is the Northwest principal, or is it Clarksburg, an up-county principal. And I'll bet that opinion comes from their own high school years, that there was be honest, folks my age, the last thing they would know how to do is how to organize, a, uh, how to call up a bus company and say, we need you know, enough buses for 40 kids and know that 40 kids are the, the accurate number of kids who are going to show up and it's not 70 and it's not 20. Where'd this come from?
1: I think it was a collective effort, and I do think that it was a learning process. I, each initiative and each engagement activity that these students partook in, they continued learning about what it means to organize and how to effectively do so. And I, I think that's beautiful and wonderful because we are the leaders of the future, and we need to know how to do these things. And we're learning young because there's a need.
0: Despite all your efforts Not much has changed in the last three years on gun control. Just a couple of days ago, there was a significant event in, of all places, um, right outside where Columbine High School is in Colorado. What needs to be done? Is there a solution that you guys know that will solve this? Or is it perfectly legitimate to be jaded and think, now we're going to be stuck with this for generations?
1: I think it's very going to be very important for students and activists to really think about how change can be made on the local level, in local communities, at the state level, before jumping to the federal level, because right now the federal level is in a bit of a gridlock. But that doesn't mean that change can't happen. In fact, there's a lot of statistics and data that your local policymakers impact your life a lot more than um, the federal policymakers. So really making that change on the ground level and making sure that we understand that this should be a norm- norm. This shouldn't be something we have to fight for because we're fighting for our basic right to safety and to live. And creating that norm across the country by having several local jurisdictions adopt measures to uh, really address the safety and security issue and then moving up to the federal level would be a way to kind of move around the lack of progress at the federal level.
0: Okay. One issue that you may be able to personally be able to have um, some control over is healthcare since you're going into medicine. How do we fix that?
1: Well, there's a broad range of issues in in healthcare in terms of access and equity. I think that there needs to be a a lot of groundwork done to eliminate... Implicit bias that exists in our healthcare system, inherent disparities that come with being of disadvantaged socioeconomic background or of certain racial backgrounds, being from a minority population, and making sure that we address barriers like language as well. When we talk about our healthcare workforce, healthcare is a fundamental human right, and we need to make sure that we don't create more barriers for people to access health care of all forms. We really open the door to people to make sure that they can be treated and to make sure that they're treated in an environment uh, and in a community that can truly meet their needs regardless of their background or socioeconomic status.
0: Your first four years of college will be where?
1: At the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill.
0: Okay, I think I've said once or twice before, I'm a huge Maryland basketball fan, so come Labor Day, you'll be dead to me. Um, (laughs) But uh, best of luck to you. Did you choose the Tar Heels because of their basketball program or? Um...
1: Uh, for a couple of different reasons. I received the Moorhead Cane Scholarship there, which is a full-ride program that's modeled after the Rhodes Scholarship. And then I also want to study public health, which Chapel Hill is very well-reputed for.
0: I guess I have to begrudgingly allow you to go out of state. <laughs> um, where do you see yourself in five years?
1: I think I want to go to medical school and I want to be pursuing with a focus in community and public health uh, and really working on uh, research related to health disparities in maternal health. I also want to be volunteering and continuing to engage in public service and policymaking and learning about the policymaking process because eventually, a few years after that, once I complete medical school, I do want to, after practicing, want to also concurrently pursue public service and public policy.
0: Okay. So you'll be in office somewhere?
1: Maybe not an elected office, but in an appointed office.
0: Okay. Back in Maryland or are you going to stay in North Carolina?
1: I do love Maryland, I have to say, and I do love Montgomery County, so I, I'm I strongly considering coming back here, but there are so many factors that come into play about where I will end up in 10 years, so we'll have to just see how they all play out.
0: Okay, well, best of luck to you.
1: Thank you, thank
0: you. Um, This has been Montgomery Talks. I'm Doug Tallman, senior reporter with Montgomery Community Media. We've been speaking with Ananya Tadakonda, the student member of the Board of Education. Our executive producer is Gaynell Evans. Our engineer today was Carolyn Raskaskas. Have a good day.